Wonderful, wonderful. You may be seated. Uh, if you want the notes, they're in you version. Just go out there to the app and you can, you can grab my notes this morning. There's a couple of links uh, that you, you might want to be apprised of. If you've got your journal, get that ready this morning as we continue our study through the book of Romans. I originally tend to do all of chapter 13, but I want to slow the pace down a little bit and digest a little more thoroughly what we're talking about. Pastor Dave will have the end of Romans 13 next Sunday as Susan and the boys head out for a family vacation for a few days to turn our brains off. One of the links that I want you to lock into is this book, Do Hard Things, something I've talked about several times. Our boys read it. Uh, if you're the parent of late elementary, junior high, high school, uh, you, you parents need to read this book, and they need to have your, have your children read it, and y'all need to talk about what's in this book. Christians are called to do hard things. This book's co-written by two teenage boys who are Christians, and uh, we'll talk more about uh, the, the why Christians do difficult things uh, a, a little bit later. One of the things that we've learned by studying the book of Romans is that Paul believed that when a sinner experiences the saving grace of God through the work of Jesus Christ, once we experience that, we cannot help but look at things differently on the other side of our salvation. We're not the same people we used to be, and we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind according to the Scripture and we begin to see things differently. The logical outcome of your justification is that your mind is being transformed so that you see people differently, you react and respond differently, uh, your relationships are different, you, value, you see yourself differently, your self-image is different than it was. The bottom line is when you're born again, your worldview changes drastically. You, saw, you see the world through a whole different set of lenses than you saw before. And when you're dealing with the unsaved world, a lot of times you're, you're, you're in conversation and discussion. You're like, why can't they understand? Why don't they see this the way I see it? Different worldview. That's why. Different set of lenses through which they filter and, and view the world. And we uh, operate a different way in our behavior, speech, thinking, etc. out of gratitude not because we're afraid we're going to be punished. This was one of Paul's main points in earlier chapters. We, we do what we do not because God's going to zap us. That's not the issue at all. We have such gratitude for what God's done for us through the justification of the gospel that we're grateful and we want to be like Christ. We want to behave a different. We want to think in righteousness. And ultimately that, that really affects who we are. One of the things that's going to be addressed this morning is something that's very uh, contemporary to, to the life you live. Right now in this generation, we see uh, disrespect for law enforcement and for government rising at an alarming rate. Just disrespect for leaders, disrespect for law enforcement officers, disrespect in general rising at an alarming rate. Uh, rate. That disrespect then begins to morph into resistance. That resistance then begins to descend into acts of overt violence and evil against the very people who've given their professional lives to protect 
to defend, to serve society at large. Just imagine now what I've said. That rebellion spills over into acts of violence against the very people who've given their whole professional lives, given their careers, given themselves uh, to rule civic, civically, civilly, uh, to be all, law enforcement officers, border patrol, highway patrol, uh, uh, ICE enforcement uh, representatives, senators, judges, mayors, city councilmen, eldermen, people who've given their lives to serve maybe have never been so disrespected and now overt acts of violence being perpetrated and directed towards them. Expand your view a little bit and look worldwide. You'll see a very similar thing across civilizations globally. You can see a rising insurgency against institutions of establishment. In other words, if it's the establishment, if it's the government, if it's the status quo, people are engaging in anarchy and rebellion against the establishment in pursuit of their own personal agendas. That spirit of anarchy rises up in our society for a very simple reason. Human nature loves to hate government. Now, you're born again, and I want you just to feel the common thread of your old sinful nature working in you. You're born again, and still there's this something in you that loves to hate government. There's still something in you that loves to want to trash talk the government, and there's still that thread of rebellion in us from the old nature uh, residual that's still there. Romans chapter 8, verse number 7, which we've already covered, mentioned this. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And in Romans 8, he's contrasting those who walk after the flesh between those who walk after the spirit. And those who walk after the flesh, he's saying they're at enmity, they're hostile towards God, and they cannot submit to the law of God. Now, I can speak for myself, I, I don't, won't presume to speak for you too much, but... Uh, I know there's something broken in me because there's nothing more alluring to me than a sign that says, keep off the grass. I mean, when I see a sign like that, I just want to go walk on the grass. Now, I know that's just me and you're not broken the way I'm broken. There's nothing more tempting to me and enticing than when I see uh, Ray, the person who does most of our maintenance here at church. He'll put signs up around here every once in a while that say, wet paint, do not touch. I have to walk by and see if it's real. Well, it's still wet. Whoops. Uh, why is that? Uh, for you, maybe it's that speed limit sign that says 55. Now, that's the worst sign ever invented, that 55 right there. Uh, uh, nobody's car wants to do 55, you know, Depending on what you drive, it wants to do 85, you know. And uh, I, I don't know, the, the point is simply this. We, we are rebels at heart. And we have a natural desire in each one of us to rage against the man. I just want to go home and do a rant on Facebook about that crappy pastor we have. You just want to rage against the man. And I am the man in this context. You know what I'm saying? You just want to go on a rant sometimes and just rage against those in authority. 
and you're, and you're the born again. You're the justified. What's broken in our old sinful nature that it just wants to rebel against any present authority? And what is it in us that thrills and delights at the notion of breaking the rules? I mean, if you say, here are the rules, the first thing that goes off in our brain is, how can we break them? How can we get around them? You know, what's the loophole here? You start looking for the, the, the out clause to get around the rules. And, and that's why in Romans 13, I think God addressed this for us. It's the very, this fallen nature that still hangs on even though we're born again, which I've already covered this topic. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul said, that old sinful nature that still hangs on even though we're born again, we have to overcome that. We overcome evil by doing good, we talked about last week. If we walk in the Spirit, we'll not do the works of the flesh. And Paul now is talking to us from chapter 12 onward that we have to have a mind being transformed and not conform to this world. And he's showing us how, how to do that. No human government is perfect. In fact, if we'll be very honest this morning, governments are systemically inefficient in everything they do. Governments are wasteful. Governments are expensive to run. It's true, it's always been true. Governments are sometimes downright cruel to their citizens. So the big thesis question of this message this morning is straightforward to you. The thesis question is, are Christians required to obey the government? That's what Paul addresses in Romans chapter number 13. This question, do we, as followers of Jesus Christ, have to obey the government? And when he's talking about Think about yourself differently. Think about the body differently. Think about spiritual gifts differently. Now he's got to the government. Christians who are born again, people who are born again should think about government and, let me just say, authority in general differently through different lenses than an unsaved person would think about government and authority in their lives. Again, let me be uh, transparent. I believe I pay too much property tax. I believe I pay too much sales tax. I believe I pay too much income tax for sure. I mean, most of you here are giving away a quarter, a third, 40% of everything you make is written off in taxes immediately. It's one of the shocking things, young people, when you really get a job and they say, you're going to make X. And then you get your paycheck and you're like, where did it all go? Uh, Uncle Sam got it. I believe I pay way too much in taxes, and I pay these taxes to support a federal government that protects a woman's right to, air quotes, choose whether she wants to murder her unborn baby, or partially born, or now completely born baby in some states, and that same government keeps alive people that the justice system has already condemned to death. My thesis question still stands. Do I have to obey that kind of government? Do I have to obey and submit myself to that kind of government? Paul's answer, absolutely you have to submit to that type of government. 
And you're going to be thinking, does a Christian have to submit to a government that for the most part does not have a Christian worldview? The answer is, yes, you do. And the reason you do is because all Christians are citizens of some earthly kingdom. Hear what I'm saying. Daniel was a citizen of Babylon, and Jesus was a citizen of Israel, which was under the rulership of Rome at the time. Every Christian is a citizen of some earthly country. And believing men and women have to do hard things for the gospel's sake. That's the bottom line. Men and women who are born again have to do very hard things for the gospel's sake. So now if you have your journal, the next section in our journal as we teach through the book of Romans is Romans chapter 13. This morning I want to deal with verses 1 through 7. So next to verse number 1 in your journal, I want you to write these words. How believers relate to their government. How believers relate to their government. Just write that at the top of the page where chapter 13 is. And you can put 1 through 7. And that's going to be the topic in verses 1 through 7. Now, the proper operation of government is to protect the citizens. This is the proper operation to protect citizens. And then also to execute justice and to execute the sentence, the penalty for breaking the law against the evildoers. That's the proper function of government, to protect the citizens and dispense, uh, uh, enforce justice and dispense execution for breaking the law or against evildoers, however you want to say that. And uh, government, uh, according to the scripture, is God's instrument. Government, according to the Bible, is God's invention. Government, according to the Bible, is something that God established in order to protect the people, to make sure justice is done, and to dispense punishment upon evildoers who will not live by the laws in a, in, a, in a civil society. Now, let me set the context for you freshly this morning so that you can understand who's, uh, to whom this was written and who the first recipients of these words were. And I think if you can understand that, it'll make your life a lot easier obeying the government here in America in this modern age in which you live these words were originally written by the apostle paul put into the hands of phoebe the deacon of chinchoria and delivered to the church in rome paul wrote these words to the church at rome the church at uh, at rome was under the rule of the emperor nero now it'd just be a fascinating paper for you to write for school to research who nero was Nero was the worst emperor Rome had. Violent, crazy nut job, okay? Tyrannical, oppressive despot. Nero was the ruler of, of Rome, and Nero hated people like you. Nero hated our brothers and sisters. Nero hated Christians. In AD 64, Nero set Rome on, well, let me say it in a little different way. In AD 64, a fire ravaged the city of Rome. Most historians believe that Nero ordered the fires lit at his command in order to clear away the slums and an undesirable part of the city in which later he would bulldoze and clear away for an expansive 
a new Rome that would be built in those neighborhoods, and he would push the undesirables out and build a fast, uh, fabulous new buildings in that part of town. When Nero set Rome on fire or ordered the fires to be lit in Rome, then he started a, a social media campaign to blame the fires on the Christians. And in doing so, he stirred up hatred against Christians like you had never seen. Because of his blaming the Christians for the fires which he set, Christians were hunted, uh, they were tortured, they they were taken captives and enslaved, they were hated in general for their faith. Some of the Christians were, were captured and burned alive in what they called Roman candles. They would take the Christian and nail them to a pole or a cross and pour accelerant on them. I'm talking about you and your wife and your children now, people who believe the way you do. Just because of your belief, for no other reason, they would nail you to a cross or tie you to a stake, lift it up high and pour accelerant on you. And when the sun began to set, they would light the fires. And they would put these Roman human torches all through the gardens of Nero so that he could light his garden parties at night since there was no electricity in those days. And he would light up the whole uh, palace area in the gardens and he would entertain guests while we provided the lighting if you would Christians were captured and sewn into uh, animal hides and turned loose and, and starving dogs were sicked on them and they were torn just, piece, just, just mauled ripped to pieces by wild hungry dogs sewn in sacks full of snakes until they were dead they were People like us were put in the circus for entertainment, if you would. And they created every imaginative and inventive way you could think to kill men, women, and children to the cheers and the applause and the delights of Nero and his government. It was to this church. Are you getting it now? It was to this church in Rome that Paul wrote this letter. It was in that context that Paul wrote these words inspired from God to direct these people living in an oppressive regime. And here are the words that Paul wrote. Are you ready? Romans 13 verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Phoebe has the book of Romans, the letter of Romans in her hand. She stands before the church of Rome. And the deacon of Chinchoria begins to read the letter to the congregation. And as she's reading the letter, she says to them in chapter 3, she gets to this spot. Can you imagine everybody saying, what in the world? When she gets to this spot and she says, here's what Paul says. By the way, this government that you live under, Paul says, let every person be subject to the government for there is no authority except from God and those powers that exist are ordained by God. You have to realize this has been established by God and submit to it. Are you nuts, Phoebe? What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, this is from God, and you must do it. 
Now, that's going to raise a lot of questions for us this morning. The first question is, why do I have to do it? And the first answer is because God establishes the government. It's clearly seen. Push this verse back up again, verse number 1. It's clearly seen. There is no authority except from God. You remember when Pilate said, do you not answer me, sir? Jesus, don't you know I have the power to crucify you or the power to let you go free? You remember Jesus' answer? You have no authority at all except it be given to you from my Father which is in heaven. Authority is ordained by God. Yes, you rule, Pontius Pilate, but you rule because there is a God who set up a government and he allows powers like you to be in, pay, in place to serve his will and to execute his purpose. Governing authorities, and I'm going to keep saying it, we love to rage against the government. One disservice that we do as parents is letting our kids hear us rage against the government. Bad parenting. You say, why? Well, because governing authorities are established by God. And that includes just and unjust governments. God's ultimate purpose in justice may be beyond our comprehension right now. Now, you live in a just government. But can you imagine the people who didn't hearing these words? And hearing that they, they need to submit because God says so. And, and we know by studying history. Let me give you two examples. Pharaoh ruled tyrannically over the Jews who were slaves. And they built the treasured cities of Egypt for hundreds of years. Pharaoh ruled as a tyrant over God's people. <clears throat> Remember Moses said, let my people go. Pharaoh said, I don't know your God. You have no authority here. It's an authority struggle. That's why he wouldn't let him go until God broke him down. I remind you that both Pharaoh, who ruled tyrannically God's people, Cyrus of the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, I could just go through the list, Darius, uh, Esther, I could just go through lists of rulers of the Old Testament and show you how people, even like Pontius Pilate in the New Testament, who ordered Jesus' crucifixion, were all people who ultimately played into the will and the purpose of God. By studying the Old Testament and that history, that's the lesson you come away with. That even through those circumstances, God was working His will and fulfilling His ultimate design upon humanity. Man, the, the Pontius Pilate Jesus one is the, is the most amazing example ever. You said, well, I wish they hadn't killed Jesus. Do you? Do you? So I wish they didn't kill Him and bury Him. But wait, that's how you got saved, through the sacrifice of Christ. Pilate played right into the will of God. The Jews who put him up from crucifixion played right into the hand and purpose of God, which was your redemption through the death of Jesus Christ. Now, just, I'm going to let that just hang there for a minute. You think about that. We know by studying history how God has used even tyrants to ultimately bring about his will. The second reason we obey the government. If you resist authority, you're actually resisting God. Now I'm saying government, but some of you are young people and children and, and, and not all are citizens of America here this morning. Some of you are guests from other countries here this morning. Uh, when I say authority, authorities can look different depending on where we live and when we live and what our age is and what our role is. 
but authority in general is what I'm talking about, but government in particular. If you resist authority, you're actually resisting God. Look at verse number 2. Therefore, now whenever we see therefore, it sums up a thought. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. That's why government was set up, okay? And those who break the law, they know there's a punishment coming, and government's job is to execute that punishment. Now, anarchy, especially for our college students who get really uh, saturated with a lot of anarchy-type thinking in your university years, anarchy at its core is anti-Christ. It is anti-Bible. It is anti-the teachings of Jesus Christ. Individual rebellion against government authorities is the same as rebellion against God, according to verse 2 of Romans chapter 13. If we resist what God has appointed, we can expect to be punished because of our rebellion. So now what we want to do as born-again believers is immediately we want to go to the hypothetical extreme case and start asking questions. So I'll beat you to the punch and I'll start asking them, okay? But wait a minute, Pastor. What if the government does something stupid? That's what you're thinking. Wait a minute, Pastor. What if the government commands me to do something that's wrong? Okay, that's a hypothetical. What if? And I know we always want to play this what if game, so let's deal with this head on because the Scripture covered this. What if the government asks us to do something that's wrong? Now, first I want to say to you, I doubt if the government will ever ask you to do anything that's wrong. That's how blessed you are. Now, I can't say that to all of our disciples around the world, but I can say it to you. I doubt if if our government here will ever ask you to do something, uh, tell you to do something, force you to do something that's wrong. And I hope for all of our sakes they don't. I hope for all of our sakes that we can, as the Bible said, live quiet and peaceful lives. But what if we do experience a government running amok and, and telling us by law we have to do some godless thing? It's covered in the book of Acts, this exact scenario. Acts chapter 5, let me read for you. Verse number 27. Peter and John have been arrested for preaching. They've been scolded. They've been rebuked. They've been locked up. They've been in jail. They're being questioned, and when they had brought them, Peter and John, they set set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them. Now, high priest, you think religion, this is court. This is court, okay? The court, the, the magistrate, if you would, the high priest is questioning them, and he said, verse 28, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name, in the name of Jesus Christ. We strictly, we told you, you can talk religion, you can go debate people in the temple, you can speak about religious things, but we told you, do not speak in the name of Jesus Christ. Yet, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And you intend to bring this man, Jesus' blood, upon us. Yeah, because he said, y'all crucified Jesus Christ. That's what they're preaching. They're preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. 29, but Peter and the apostles answered to the court, we must obey God rather than men. Now, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? 
pretty straightforward. I think Peter's very clear. If we're ever commanded to do something that is contrary to God's clear commands, then we're to obey God rather than men. But that's the hypothetical. That's the extreme, and that is not the norm of your life. So when those red and blue flashing lights show up in your rearview mirror, you're not going to say, well, see, they're making me... No. (laughs) No, that's you. That's on you. That's not on God. That's not on the government. You're breaking the rules. I reminded my mom that this morning when she rolled a stop sign right in front of a police officer about a block from here. That's going to be on you if he comes now. Sermon's going to get you this morning, Missy. There may come a day... When the government says to a generation of Christians, you must stop preaching the gospel and stop preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. If the government tells us that, then we must obey God rather than men. And if we disobey the government, we will likely have to suffer because of it. Now hear what I'm saying. If they say you can't and you say we're gonna, then you need to be prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Are you prepared to suffer in order to make disciples? Are you prepared to suffer a little bit for the privilege of preaching the the gospel and, and speaking about Jesus Christ? You see, all through history and all around the world, Christians will choose, because of the gospel, to do things that are very, very hard, very difficult. And some will suffer because of their decision. But let's not get bogged down with the hypothetical. Uh, other nations and other generations, they could well argue these matters. Okay? It's hypothetical to you. It's not real to you. It's not reality for you. Other cultures and other times could argue this with legitimacy and have a nice debate and discussion that would go way beyond our understanding of this because we've never ever experienced this. They were persecuted. They are being persecuted right now around the world. We are not being persecuted. So it's really just kind of a hypothetical discussion for us. But I wanted to bring it up because they're listening right now on the other side of the world to this sermon live. And I want to say it for their sake so that they understand they have to submit to the government just as we do. And they're listening right now. And I know you guys are listening and say, yeah, but we have to suffer for it and you don't. And that is correct. For sake of the gospel, you have to do it. Romans 13 was written to the church at Rome under Nero. Yes, you have to do it. Now, my challenge to you is a little bit different. Because we're the unique exception to the majority of Christians who have ever lived on this planet. My challenge to you this morning is that you engage yourself right now in the liberty and freedom that you have. And you engage yourself actively using what no one has ever had in the history of Christianity for the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use what you have been given. You think, well, I'm just normal. I go to work and I play my sports and I do my thing. No, you've been given unprecedented freedom and liberty Internet technology, access to, 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 to communication devices. Man, you have unprecedented ability right now to use your freedom and liberty for the gospel's sake. My challenge to you, it's very different than my challenge to our friends in, in Asia right now. My challenge to you is that you take advantage of our free market economy. 
It's a gift from God that you let the spirit of entrepreneurship rise in you. That you, you learn how to use money as a tool. You have a wonderful financial advisor sitting right back there. He'd be glad to help you. Learn how to use money as a tool. A tool to make more money. Learn how to use the free market economy to gain immense wealth. That is my challenge to you. I'm challenging every member, every family in this church. Learn how to use money to gain immense wealth. And then take that immense wealth that God is giving you and turn right around and reinvest it back into the kingdom of God to make disciples and to spread the gospel. Not just so we can be more comfortable and more comfortable and more comfortable. I don't know how big of a bed you can sleep in beyond a king. California king. I don't know how, I don't know how big of a house you can live in beyond every person having their own bathroom and bedroom and playroom and family room. I don't know how many more cars you can drive than everybody having at least one. You see what I'm saying? At some point, make all the money you can make, not for money-making's sake, because you understand when you live and why you live and what you're about so that you can take that wealth and you can use it for spreading the kingdom of God. The fact is, most of the commands of our government do not go against the teaching of Scripture. And we must obey the government. As a matter of fact, when we obey the government, we don't have to live in fear. Now, we've got some law enforcement officers in here. A lot of people are living in fear. And they have a reason to live in fear. Because they've transgressed the law. And the law may be looking for them. And uh, listen, if you don't have warrants, then you don't have to live in fear. No one's going to come kick your door down. Uh, what I'm saying to you this morning, Romans 13, 3, let me read it. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Can we just soak that in for a minute? The authorities are not a terror to good conduct. Anybody here get a ticket for doing something good? Anybody spend the week in jail for helping your neighbor? No. The authorities are, are, are they're not a terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Let let me put it in some very plain English for you. Generally speaking, there's no reason to be afraid if you're doing the right thing. Christian, do the right thing. You have nothing to fear. It is a general rule of thumb that if we obey the speed limit, we will not get a speeding ticket. Some of you choose to disobey that. You will get a speeding ticket. Don't be upset that you got a speeding ticket. Just pay it. You broke the law. Is that straightforward? Submit. Don't be angry at the policeman. You know, tell him you appreciate that he's doing his job and keeping us safe. And, you know, apologize for transgressing the law, sign the ticket, be courteous, and get on down the road and pay, pay for your crime, so to speak. Obey. I just use that as one illustration. Obey, and most of the time you will be treated as if you're obedient. And that's not just about speeding, it's about everything. Obey, and generally you'll be treated with respect as one who is obedient. Paul's making this point so 
clearly to the church at Rome and to Cornerstone this morning because government exists for our good. Now, we love to rage against the man and speak evil of of authority, but government wasn't given to oppress you. Government was given by God for your good. It exists for our benefit. Let me read verse 4. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. In other words, he's, if you break the law, then you should, be, you should be afraid. Because he's armed for a reason. For he is the servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Well, Paul's really putting this in perspective for us, isn't he? Imagine a world, imagine living in a world where there was no one to restrain evildoers. Imagine a world where there was no law enforcement. Imagine a world where there was no court system where you could go and make your case and make your argument and and seek justice at the hands of the law. Imagine a world where there's no one to restrain evil. It's the government's job to see to it that the wrongdoer is punished and that justice is served. Now, let's find common ground right here. Because some of you have a history with the law and some of you not so much. But let's find common ground in this. Whether you think the government does a good job or whether you think the government does a poor job, the one thing every one of us can agree on this morning is that the government does restrain a whole lot of evil. The government restrains a whole lot of evil. If there's no U.S. Navy and no U.S. Air Force and no, no, no Marines and no Army, do you know this world would look like a different place tomorrow morning? Because the people who want to do evil would not respect boundaries and borders and treaties. The strong would take advantage of the weak and they would overrun the world very quickly. Now, now, whether you agree or disagree with everything your government does, I want you to find common ground in this. Our government does restrain a whole lot of evil. The police, the law enforcement, the judge, judicial system, the court, restrains a whole lot of evil. And what the individual Christian must never do, Romans chapter 12, seek vengeance. Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. What the individual Christian is not allowed to do in getting even and doing paybacks, the state may legitimately do in the pursuit of justice. In other words, God said in chapter 12, just a few years ago, you don't seek vengeance, let God seek vengeance. What you're not allowed to do as an individual getting back at someone, the legal system, the authority system is allowed to pursue because it's legitimate government. And that government is carrying out justice and protection and punishment and that's God's uh, design. That's God's authority. Now, Paul's spelling all of this out very clearly for one reason. Because Christians have to do hard things for the sake of the gospel. And submitting to authority and submitting to government is one of those hard things that historically Christians have always had to do in order to effectively be able to forward the kingdom of God and share the gospel. I'm going to read verse 5 now. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of of conscience so now he starts talking about motivations of why 
we would obey the government? Why would we do the hard thing? Why would we do the right thing? And, and we, he, what he's saying is we should be obedient for more noble reasons than just fear of getting a ticket or going to jail. We should do right for more noble reasons than just fear of punishment. We should do right for our conscience sake before God. Out of gratitude for what God has done for us, we live a different type of life than other people out of gratitude for all that Christ has done for us. Uh, Augustine, the, the, the old, old theologian, he explained it this way. Let me put his quote up. You should not submit simply to avoid the authority's anger. You are doing this out of love for Christ. For you submit at your Lord's command. Isn't that beautiful? You say, why do I do the right thing? Not out of fear. I've shifted my motivation now. I'm letting my mind be transformed by, by new thinking and by the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God. And now when I obey, I don't obey out of fear. I obey because to me it's like doing it for Jesus Christ. I do right because Christ said to do it. We're obedient because the government is playing a part in the will of God and accomplishing His purposes. Here's one thing I do know for sure. Is I do know that Jesus Christ came to this earth and He submitted Himself to taking on the form of human flesh and He submitted Himself to the Father and He submitted Himself to a government that He was sovereign over. Just imagine. Pilate, you have no authority except I give it to you. But nevertheless, I submit to your judgment. He submitted himself to a world he created. He submitted himself to a government that he instituted. He submitted himself to priests and a system of judges that he gave authority to. And you're saying, what was the end of that? Well, the Bible says he was obedient even unto death, even the death of the cross and he did that for you and for me. And as a result of his obedience, we are presented now with a gospel through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that has the power to save our lives and transform us. We have a lot more to motivate us to righteousness this morning than fear that we might get caught. Fear of punishment. This morning, you and I are motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the gospel Christians have to do the hard things. Now Paul begins to conclude this section by teaching us the principle of pay what you owe. There's a great principle that every Christian needs to learn. Pay what you owe. It's a principle we have to teach to our children. Pay what you owe. I'm going to read verse number 6 now. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing pay your taxes that's how the government operates off of your taxes now obviously by a simple reading of this you can see paul is not a conservative republican he says nothing of tax revolts he says nothing of the limited power of government he says nothing about lower taxes he says nothing about uh, revolting and rebel. He doesn't say anything about that. What he says to them simply is because of this, you pay taxes. Pay them 
because this is how the government operates. Remember what I just said, government is the servant of God. Government is accomplishing God's purposes. Now just so you know, Paul's not way out in left field on this. This is actually the exact teaching of Jesus Christ. Let me take you back now to Mark chapter 12 where they pressed Jesus on this issue of paying taxes. And really it's not just taxes. The real underlying thread here is submitting to authority. Okay? Mark 12 verse 14. And they came and they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. So we're going to ask you a question. Here we go. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Here's the question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let's look at it. Somebody gave him the coin and they brought one and he said to them, okay, whose likeness and inscription is this? Whose picture, whose face is on the coin? And they said to him, Caesar's. That's Caesar's face on the coin. Jesus said, well then, render to Caesar the thing. Obviously it must be his coin. His face is on it. Obviously it must belong to Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. Their face is on it. You see his point? Obviously it belongs to the government. The government's imprint is upon it. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And give to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Now, Jesus affirmed the legitimacy of paying taxes, and he said it's not only legitimate, but it's the means that God uses to sustain rule over his creation to accomplish ultimately even his purposes. Because the government is ordained by God to maintain order, to protect its citizens, to Make sure that justice is served and that wrongdoer, evil people are punished. That plays directly into the purposes of God. Now just so you know, Paul's not out there on a limb. Listen to the apostle Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Let me ask you, what motivates you to do the right thing? Fear? Peter said, we have higher goals than this. We are subject to authority because of God, because of the gospel, because of the kingdom of God. For the Lord said, when you obey, you do it as unto the Lord. You say, even if it's a wicked government, even if it's a wicked government, you obey as unto the Lord. You are obeying, not the evil person you're obeying. You do it as unto the Lord. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as him sent by him to punish those who... Uh, who do evil and praise those who do good. The exact same thing Paul just said. That you're going to do right, and if not, they bear the sword, and they will punish those who do wrong. Now, now Paul expands the pay-what-you-owe principle. Stay with me now as I land this thing. Now Paul challenges us in this last verse. Not just to pay our taxes, but to pay to all, all people what we owe them. Don't you let this marinate a minute. He's expanding the principle now. Yes, pay your taxes, but in a bigger picture, pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. You have employees. 
pay them what's fair and right. Okay? Respect to whom respect is due. Honor to whom honor is due. Now here's the Bible teaching. If you owe respect to someone, pay it. You say, well, pastor, they don't deserve Stop it. Just stop it right now. The Bible didn't say anything about whether Nero deserved their respect or not. He was the authority and they were to submit. It's tough, isn't it? You understand why I'm saying it to you this way? Christians are called to do hard things. If someone have a position of respect, you know what the Bible says? Respect them. Pay what's owed. You say, well, they're not worthy. Stop it. God didn't say that was your position. He said, just pay your respect. Do you, it, should, should someone be honored? If you owe honor, then pay the honor that you owe them. You say, well, it just goes against, I know, it goes against your sinful, rebellious nature. Mine too. And that's why the Bible said we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and we need to start thinking like God thinks and for the sake of making disciples and advancing the kingdom of God and sharing the gospel and redeeming people from the lostness of an eternity without Christ you and I are called upon to do the very difficult things of life like submit to authority and pay honor and be respectful let me ask you a closing question this morning what motivates you to do the hard things what because motivation is a big deal what motivates you to do the hard things is it just fear or is it something higher and that's what I'm trying to appeal to this morning to elevate your thinking and your motives this morning so that we're not just doing it because I have to I have to be respectful of my boss because then I'll get fired. Listen, why don't you be respectful to your boss because he is your boss and God's told you to respect authority and pay honor to whom honors do. See if that doesn't change things on the job for you. See if that doesn't begin to change the environment there for you. You say, well, that teacher, she just, she's a terrible teacher. Well, listen, maybe she is, but she is a teacher. And she's been through the process. She got at least four years of university and maybe two more. And she has paid some price to be there. Can we all agree on that? And you know what the Bible says? Honor to whom honors do, respect to whom respect is due. I wish somebody would have really clearly taught me this when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. I could go back and undo some bad behavior that I as a child of God perpetrated upon this world by just wanting to rebel against everybody and be against everybody who had a position, teacher, principal, a you know, the, 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 the cop, the, the security guard, just, you just want to be against everybody who has some authority. Do you realize that's a sinful position according to Scripture? What motivates you to do the hard things? Now, here's what Paul said. We should be motivated out of gratitude for all that Christ has done for us. Because of all that you've heard in the book of Romans that God has done for you, that should be the motivating factor. Let me just illustrate for you as I close. You know, the Bible says, slaves be subject to your masters as unto the Lord. No sane person in this room 
would tell me that slavery is not immoral. Slavery is immoral. To capture another human being, steal their life, force them into servitude against their will, and make them create wealth for you and steal their life from them. Slavery is immoral. Can we all find common ground right there? All right, thank you. The Bible says, slaves be subject to your masters. How do you reconcile that? Slavery is immoral. And yet the Bible told the slaves in the New Testament, be subject to their masters. You you, you see, the world was not ready in 50 AD to accept the abolition of slavery. The the, the, The world view was not there. Slavery was the way of the world. And as slaves begin to be saved and come to Christ and sit at the kitchen table side by side with the free men and the patrons and the, and the patronesses and the wealthy people all sitting side by side at somebody's living room in those house churches of the first century, Paul said, and when church is over, go back and be subject to your master. That's exactly what it looked like. It would take 1,700 years. <laughs> That's a lot of time. Under that rule, before the Enlightenment would hit Europe, because of the gospel and begin to change people's thinking and then it would take another hundred years get us to about mid 1800s before slavery would be abolished pretty much through Europe America the colonies etc now the Bible was already for the slaves to be free thousands of years ago Jesus first sermon he preached in Nazareth I came to set the captives free that was his first message the world wasn't quite ready for that message now hear what I'm saying only eternity will reveal how many Christian slaves suffered with grace and obedience for the sake of the gospel some of the very people the New Testament's written to were slaves in the system this whole book in your Bible about a slave and a slave owner. Only eternity will reveal how many slaves got this principle and said we must do hard things for the sake of the gospel. And that includes me and my wife and my ch- kids being slaves to this man and this family. You talk about take one for the team. When they pass out rewards, you and I are going to be way at the end of the line, ladies and gentlemen. That's all I'm saying. Listen, let me give you another example. Women have been subjugated, owned, sold, abused, dominated, denied education. In your own country, they just barely got the right to vote. Just recently. (laughs) Recent history, okay? Such is the lot with women. They have not been treated with equality. Not because the Bible said so, but because the world was not ready to operate by Eden's restored values in the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ brought to us through the gospel. So the Bible tells the women, at times you'll have to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Who knows? Only eternity will reveal How many millions of Christian women have suffered patiently for the sake of spreading the gospel? And it happened recently in your history 
when the world was finally ready to start treating women as equals with men, the Christians led the charge because God was already ready thousands of years ago. Right now, many of our disciples are suffering abuse under oppressive regimes, people who are listening to this sermon right now. It was just a few weeks ago that Ezekiel was beat up, uh, our main disciple in, in Asia. You may wonder what we told Ezekiel to do. We're teaching our disciples to pray for their leaders, to submit to authority, and to do it for sake of spreading the gospel. I uh, chatted with Ezekiel and I said, Ezekiel, because of what you suffered getting hit, God will take that and he will open the door somehow and he'll turn that into fruit. He'll turn that into an opportunity to share the gospel because you're willing to suffer for the gospel's sake. Ezekiel sent me this picture last night. He was invited to Sikh territory, Sikh territory up in Punjab. He texted me this picture last night and he said, Pastor, the suffering is worth it. I just led 40 of these people to faith in Jesus Christ last night. You can see all the people with their hands raised, men and women all over the room. I want you to take note of those head coverings. I'll be talking about those in a few weeks. Here's what I'm saying to you this morning. Because Christ came and he humbly bore our sins in his own body on the cross... He bore the sins of rebellious people like you and I. And he's teaching us now that we should respond in gratitude and submit to authority for his sake. Do it as you're doing it to Christ, not, not to the world. Do it because it's right. Do it for noble reasons. Do it so that the gospel can be shared and Christianity will not be persecuted. And if you break the rules, you're going to have to pay. There may come a day when we have to break the rules, and we better expect to pay if we break them. That's okay. Others have. I doubt very seriously if in your lifetime your government's going to ask you to do something evil. Obey the authorities. You may be facing some very difficult circumstance. What I want you to know this morning is God is calling you to live a transformed life by changing the way you think to line up with his thinking. Now, that's a challenge this morning. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I want every Christian just to take that into your heart this morning. And I want you to ask God right now, God, what do I need to do based on what I've heard from the Word of God this morning? Lord, what do I need to do right now? I would think at a very minimum, every child of God right now could find a place of prayer and could say, God, I need to confess this rebellion in my heart against authority. It's there. I delight to, to break the rules. It's part of, of, of who I am. And God, I want to confess that to you as sin this morning. And God, I want to ask you to begin to transform my thinking. Give me a heart to obey as unto the Lord. When it's hard to submit to a parent or a teacher or the law or the authority, God, let me be willing in that moment to do it for the gospel's sake. Let me ask you a second question, Christian. What are you willing to submit to? 
that the gospel might go forward? What hardship would you be, what hard thing would you be willing to do? Is it fair that the Christian world is suffering and we have such a life of ease here this morning? Well, God's designed it that way for some purpose, but are we taking advantage of our liberty, of our wealth, of our freedom? Are we just living for ourselves or are we living for that kingdom purpose? Challenge yourself this morning. Talk it out with God. If you need to be a member of this church, I'm going to ask you right now, just slip out of your seat and come and join uh, some of our staff members here on the front row already and just say, it's time for me to make a decision. I want to commit to be a part of the family here. Just slip out of your seat and come down. They know exactly how to help you in this moment. If you're here this morning and you need to schedule your baptism, same thing, just come and let someone know. We'll show you what to do next. If you've come into the house of God this morning, and the Holy Spirit's really working in your heart now and the lights are coming on and you're like, okay, I'm getting some things I've never understood before. I understand the gospel. I understand what Christ did for me. If you've never put your faith in Him as your personal Savior, if you've never received Him into your heart as Lord of your life, then I want to challenge you to do that right now before you leave this room. By a simple prayer of faith, ask Christ to come into your heart. If you don't know how to do that let me help you word a prayer right now and you take my words but just make it your own prayer from your own heart pray like this dear God I confess to you this morning that I'm a sinner and I know that I need a savior and Jesus I believe you are the savior of the world that I need I believe you're the son of God who came down and lived a perfect life as a man I believe you took my place on the cross you were buried and you rose again to be my Savior. And Lord, with that knowledge and that understanding this morning, I want to ask you to forgive me of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me, make me totally clean. Lord, this morning I receive you as my Savior. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life, Jesus I put all of my faith and all of my confidence and trust in you this morning as my Savior. You did what I could not do. And I accept your forgiveness and your righteousness as a free gift right now. Right now, adopt me into the family of God and fill me with your Holy Spirit. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you need to make a decision in these few moments, come ahead and meet me here at the front. We'll close in a word of song in just a moment.